I'll be reading from Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. Romans 3.21 But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, that He might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works. No, but by law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let's pray. Father, again, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the declarations that are made here that are just so emphatic about the work that you have done in Christ on our behalf and the offer that is made to all who will believe. We thank you, Father, for the certainty that these things are grounded in who you are, grounded in Christ and the work that he has done, and not in us. And so, Father, we pray that you would just by your spirit work these things into our hearts that we would rejoice, God, in you and in your finished work on our behalf. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I never aspired to, um, to be a doctor, but you can um, pretend with me that I am, and that if you were to come to me with an ailment and we run all kinds of tests on you, and then you come back to my office for, um, for the consultation, and I have nothing but bad news for you. And I tell you, it's beyond bad that I, I in my lack of bedside manner, I just say, I just have to give it to you straight. That there, this disease that you have is going to kill you, and not only that, is going to give you great pain, Not only that, it is going to become so horrible in its effects upon you that it will destroy every relationship you have. It will cost you all of your your finances and it will destroy everything that you've ever built and hoped for in your life. This is a life-devastating disease in every sense of the word. Might as well just go home and try and live with it. And I send you out of the office. Week passes, complete misery, hopelessness. And I call you up, and you're hoping for the words, I made a mistake. It was wrong person I was talking to. But I say, no, there's no mistake. But I have good news. There is a cure. And this cure can give you complete healing. 
Paul has spent the first three chapters of Romans here talking about sin. He's trying to make a huge impression upon us that we stand hopeless and condemned and under the wrath of God. And it is weightier than any disease. It is much worse than anything that's physical. And its impact is social. It is, it is eternal. It is physical, spiritual, emotional. It impacts and destroys every aspect of our lives. Now, he wants to tell us, but there is hope. There is hope. And, and it just burst on the scene. In fact, again, it, it's, it, that's the, the bad thing about preaching with six days in between each sermon. It's because we lose the continuity of this. But if we were to read through these chapters of Romans in one sitting, this ought to just burst into our consciousness. He has just finished saying in chapter 3 that there is none righteous, not even one. There are none who understand. He said that all are under sin. And then he says, verse 21, But, but, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed throughout the Old Testament, through the law and the prophets. And then he gets specific, even the righteousness of God which is what we need and which seems out of reach. Beyond hope, the righteousness of God is within reach, the antidote to sin and all of its destructive power is within reach to all who will believe in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, and there is no distinction, through faith In Jesus Christ, we can be delivered from the power of sin, ultimately the presence of sin, and all the impact of sin. For all have sinned, verse 23, again one of his summary statements, and all fall short of the glory of God. And then it's almost as though there should be another but. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. I know it's not possible, but one of the best illustrations I've heard of what God is trying to say here, it's as as though after the bad news has been delivered to us, that we are dead in our sin, and that that sin is absolutely destructive in all this impact. It's as though the person who delivers the news says to you, you've got terminal cancer, and there is a procedure by which I can remove your cancer and impart it into my body and give to you my health. You live and I die. That's what God is declaring here. That the source of our death is taken and put on another, on Christ. That we might live through His death. The one who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The words that Paul are using here, every one of them are chosen for impact. None of them can be overlooked. 
Look again at verse 24. Justified as a gift. It is nothing that can be earned. By His grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Every aspect of that is very important. We'll get to what the justification means in a minute. But, then he, but beyond that, it is a gift. It is by grace. And it is through and only through the redemption which is only in Christ Jesus. No other way. No other way. And to say that all the paths lead to heaven is nonsense. To say that there is another way to have my terminal disease of sin made not terminal, to be delivered from me, that is fantasy. There is only one way. It is to be justified as a gift of God by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And then speaking of Him, Christ Jesus being the focal point of all of this, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness in the past and in the present. In the past, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed, and in the present, to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time, that He might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is big stuff. You almost wish that there could be smaller words to describe it. Because there are some big words here. Justification. Propitiation, redemption, righteousness. This is where you want your Bible to be written on a third grade level instead of a high school level. New American Standard I'm written, that I'm write, reading from apparently is written on, I think it's a 10th grade level. And it's too big. You wish it was less than this. But it, there's no smaller words that would adequately convey what the Lord is wanting to say here. In fact, these words are too small in themselves. Justification is a commercial term. I'm sorry, it's a legal term. Commercial term's coming up. It is a legal term, and, in, and, and it, is, it is such a strong, comprehensive term that to stand before God and to be condemned for our sin once we've been justified is actually an illegality. It can't happen. It would be illegal, illegal for God to condemn the person who has been justified. The person who has put his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. He cannot legally condemn the one who has been justified. It speaks of something that, is, that has happened once in time, that can never be repeated, and can never be lost. Once a person has been justified, no matter what else happens, the justification can never be taken away because it is comprehensive. It is more than pardon. Pardon is to say if the governor of Texas finds a person that's about to be executed for his crimes, and he might be able to say, I pardon you. Pardon just says you're not going to be punished for what you've done. Justification says that you, are, that you cannot legally even be found guilty 
for what you've done. There is no guilt. It is not just just the um, removal or remission of punishment, but it is the positive bestowal of righteous status. It is the sinner's reinstatement into the favor and fellowship of God. As one person put it, to condemn is not merely to punish, but to declare the accursed guilty or worthy of punishment. And justification is not merely to remit the punishment, but to declare that the punishment punishment cannot be justly inflicted. Pardon and justification, therefore, are essentially distinct. The punishment cannot be justly inflicted. God doesn't pardon us. He justifies us. And it is absolutely complete. This took place on the basis of Christ's death on our behalf, which God reckoned as sufficient payment for our sin and the worthy punishment that is derived from it. And in that past act, it covered everything in the future and every sinner who would ever be born. So my past sins... My present sins, my future sins, were all covered in the past one-time act of Christ on the cross. And the justification that God declares makes me legally right before God. But justification is not sanctification, is it? That criminal may be released from jail. And said, you can never be found guilty because you are justified. But that doesn't make the criminal a good guy. Goodness is what Jesus lives to accomplish in our lives. He died that we might be forgiven. He lives to save us. He lives that we might become through his indwelling life good, that we might become people of character and of holiness and of righteousness. The saved sinner is not necessarily a good man, but he is saved. He is just before God. He cannot legally be condemned. He will stand before God without fear, without reproach, with open access and complete acceptance. But in the meantime, God works to make us holy. God works to impart to us the very righteousness of God. And that's where we'll go with Romans 6, 7, and 8 because it begs the question, well then why do we live such ungodly lives if we're godly in the sight of God? We were, are made just at the time that we are declared just. Yet the context is to legal justification, being put right with God. We are not made morally just. This is the character of God developed in the believer. God's justification initiates this, but it does not secure it. We are justified freely by God's grace. And and Christ and the cross are the basis for that justification. He speaks of redemption. Very similar. In fact, we read here again where he speaks first of justification in verse 24. We are justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. 
And over in Ephesians 1 verse 7 it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So it's all by grace. The redemption is by grace. The justification is by grace. It is all by the grace of God. Redemption, is a, that's a great verse to kind of give us a, 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 a good handle on it. In verse, again, Ephesians 1, 7, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We've been made free, forgiven. We've been purchased. Redemption is a commercial term. There are actually a number of different um, flavors of redemption in the Greek with different prepositions that are put on it which change the, 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 the emphasis a little bit. And um, as Vincent was telling us last Sunday in Sunday school class, there's, there's one use form of the word where it means that you can never again be sold back into slavery. So it speaks of the eternal security in the act of redemption, just as justification does. Legally, justification, you are right before God, and God cannot legally condemn you. That will never change. And redemption, it is to be purchased back by the blood of Christ, and the purchase is such that you can never be sold again. You can never again come under the dominion and, 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 um, and ownership of sin and of Satan. But this particular use here, from what I understand, has another aspect, and it's the idea of the completeness of the thoroughness of the redemption, that you have been redeemed through and through, absolutely, thoroughly purchased by God through the blood of Christ. Sometimes we wonder, well, what about, you know, those ancestral sins? What about those generational sins that we get early? There is no way that any previous generation can have a handle on you because you have been purchased completely in Christ. That's not to say that we can't have some hang-ups and things from different things that have happened to us through our parents and stuff. But we can live free in Christ because the purchase, the redemption, which God has secured for us in Christ is absolutely thorough. Through and through. It is a complete redemption. Every aspect of my being, my memories, my mind, my, my desires, my mistakes, my ambitions, every single aspect of my being has come under the redemption of Jesus Christ. It is a thorough, through and through, redemption. Propitiation. I'm never even sure if I'm saying the word right. It's not one that we use anymore. I don't even think it's maybe in the updated New American Standard anymore. But it means to appease the wrath of another. And God, as we've seen before in, in going through this study, is a God of wrath. And again, the only hope that we would ever have for that wrath being appeased is not in ourselves. It's in another. And Jesus Christ has done that. The heavy weight of sin and having to stand before a holy God is removed. Because God's wrath is satisfied. The atonement that has been secured on our behalf is absolutely complete. Once and for all, God's wrath has been appeased. His justice has been satisfied. 
And we can stand before God free, accepted, cleansed, without fear. Man is in no position to placate, to propitiate the anger of God. God's own great love, as one person put it, propitiated His own holy wrath through the gift of His own dear Son, who took our place, bore our sin, and died our death. Thus God gave Himself to save us from Himself. God's own great love propitiated His own holy wrath through the gift of His own dear Son, who took our place, bore our sin, died our death. Thus God gave Himself to save us from Himself. He is the rule maker. We saw last week, He can't change the rules because they are a reflection of who He is in His person. He can no more change the rules than change Himself. And the only way that His justice could be satisfied was by having sin punished. And Jesus took the punishment. This is the righteous basis on which the righteous God can righteous the unrighteous without compromising His righteousness. I like that. This is the only righteous basis on which the righteous God can can righteous the unrighteous without compromising His righteousness. That's why it says that He is the just justifier. That He is both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The end of verse 26. We have been justified. We have been redeemed. God has been propitiated through Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are declared righteous. We'll see next week in chapter 4 of Romans that God says ten times in this chapter that God reckons us righteous. There are many times I wake up in the morning and I don't feel righteous. I, I can, Patsy sometimes just, I'm always groaning it seems like. You know, what are you groaning about? I'm thinking about something else I said that I shouldn't have said. Something I wish I'd done that I hadn't done or did do that I wish I hadn't done. You know how it is. And the last thing you feel is righteous. But God says, God says, you're righteous. You've been justified. You've been redeemed. God has been propitiated. And you have the privilege of receiving the very righteousness of Christ. Made righteous. God says so. And it is simply through faith in Jesus Christ. By faith, we are made righteous, declared righteous, and by faith, we have to accept it, no matter how we feel, because God said so. After saying this, these declarations, and I love this about Paul, because he 
all through Romans and in many of his writings, he, he anticipates the objections and the questions that come up. The, the questions that seem to be spawned from, from what he says. And, and there are three here that come up. And, and, he, and the first one is in verse 27. Where then is boasting? Easy answer. It is excluded. There is no place for boasting. How many times I've heard people say that one of the reasons they despise Christians is because they are so proud. And then you pro- what are you talking about? What do you mean proud? I humbly accept that I am condemned in the sight of God and I come to Jesus alone. Where's the pride in that? Because you think that you you just say that you know you're going to go to heaven when you die. You know you've been forgiven. How can any person know that? That is pride, smugness, arrogance. Christians are the most arrogant people I've ever met. And Paul says, where is the boasting? It is excluded. There is no boasting in this. Remember those days, you know, Christmas morning? Remember down in Corpus, because it was always warm on Christmas. And, you know, and, you know, you, and you just, all the families, it's like mom and dads got together all up and down the street and decided what they were going to do. Because, you know, the Christmas opening the gifts were just a certain time. And it was like on clockwork, all the doors and all the garage doors came up, you know, all over the street, and the kids are, boom, they're out in the street. And they've got their new bicycles, new skateboards, hula hoops and stuff. And, you know, and they're all out there. On the one hand, you can look at it and say, look how those kids are just showing off. They're, you know, how they're just showing off and all that. And they're not. They're enjoying. They want to ride the bike they got. It's not about showing off to everybody. It's about riding their bike. They're just thankful. And the parents are glad to see it. What if they got that bike and just kept it there in the house and never even used the thing? The parents would go, what a miserable gift that was. I didn't please my kids. It pleases the parents to see the kids out on their bikes. They're not showing off. They're enjoying what God has given. They're not boasting. They're just being thankful. There's no place for boasting. Everything that we have, we've received. We had no hope. No hope. And God sent His Son. Gave Him freely to us. A gift of God by the grace of God that we might be made righteous. Justified, redeemed, righteous. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. Second question. Well then, is God the God of the Jews? Verse 29, only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? He says, absolutely, of Gentiles too. And it, and it's almost, it perplexes me why I even felt the need to raise this question. But, it, but other people will, will, well, what about the Jews? Because again, the Jews have been blessed with so much um, revelation and grace. And, and Christ was a Jew and the prophets, they were all Jews. And well, what, is he just the God of the Jews? No, all can be saved. Not just the ones who have received this chosen status of being the chosen nation. All the nations can be saved. Not just the chosen nation. As many as will believe they can be saved. That's why again back in verse 22. All those who believe. For there is no distinction. He's not just the God of some. He's the God of all. And all can have this justification. This redemption. This righteousness. 
And then the last question, do we then nullify, verse 31, the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. And so it's it's as though the the Jews are now saying, well, what about the law then? If If you can be made right with God simply by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, then what about the law? What about all the revelation that God gave? Is God just annulling it all? Paul says, may it never be. Nothing could be further from the truth. The law points us to Christ. The law shows us our need to be redeemed. The law shows us that there's no way that we can be saved in and of ourselves. It has to be the work of God. And the law is not canceled. It is not annulled. It is fulfilled in Christ by the Spirit, even within the believer by the Spirit, Paul's going to say in Romans 8. So the law is not set aside. Actually, the law is fulfilled. And so what we find is boasting is excluded. And then even discrimination is excluded. It's not Jew versus Gentile. Lawlessness is excluded. And what we're left with, what's advanced, is humility, unity, and obedience. Do you realize that? That this is the very things that we would love to see displayed in our communities and in our nation. Humility, unity, and obedience. All of this comes through faith. The gift coming to Christ on His terms by faith in Christ, receiving as a gift the work of God, actually advances all the virtues that we'd love to see in ourselves and in our society. Humility, unity, and obedience. Here are just some final thoughts as I, as I reflect on this. And by the way, one writer has described this paragraph that we're looking at this morning as the single most important paragraph ever written. He may be right. Because this it just all comes down. I mean, basically everything in the Bible is summarized in this paragraph. That... Again, we are sinners who stand before a holy God without hope unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ who died for us, shed His blood on our behalf. And on the basis of Him alone, we have justification before God, have been purchased, redeemed. God is satisfied, fully propitiated, and we are made righteous. Think about it. If God is not a God of wrath, then there's no need of propitiation. If there is no sin, as the psychologist would like to tell us, then there's no need to be justified. If all are going to be saved anyway, then why do any need to be declared righteous? And if there is really no bondage to sin, it's just cultural expectations and religious um, standards that people are living under, false guilt then there's no need of redemption. Bottom line is, this is much ado about nothing. If any of those things are true. Jesus didn't need to die. And we know that's not the case. What we do know from this paragraph is that everything that needs to be done, God does it from beginning to end. Our sin is an impossible burden 
that we cannot be free from except by the work of God. God has done it all. He is the agent. We are the recipients of his gracious activity. We know from this paragraph that Jesus is the only solution to our problem. There is no other. He came to die for our sins. He is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. We know that the only means for appropriating what has been done on our behalf is simple faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. We need to understand, just to go back to the end of verse 26, where it says that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That he, he, any time you don't see faith mentioned, like at verse 30, um, or look at verse 28. Now we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There is a statement, man is justified by faith without the antecedent faith in Christ. Anytime you see that in Scripture, man is justified by faith, by faith we are saved. Any statement like that, it is assumed that it is faith in Jesus. Faith in itself saves no one. There is no, there is no merit, there is no virtue in faith in itself. It is not faith in faith which saves us. That's why even when our faith wanes and all the doubts come flooding in, and we don't feel like the righteousness of God. We don't feel justified. It doesn't matter what my faith tells me. It matters what God has said about me. I am not saved by my faith. It is the object of the faith Christ saves. And this is why so clearly he says in verse 26, He is just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I, it, was, it broke my heart the day that I sat next to an elderly Jewish couple on the airplane 20 years ago. And they were asking me about what I did and told them I was in seminary. And, 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 and the just dear grandmotherly Jewish woman said, That is so wonderful what you're doing with your life. My husband and I are Jews and we believe just as long as a person has faith that that's all that matters. She is gravely mistaken. The scripture is clear. Faith, faith that God will someday love me and accept me, is not a saving faith. Faith that somehow, even after a person dies, he will be given a chance, another chance, is not saving faith. The scripture says that true faith is faith in Jesus Christ. That is true faith. I am trusting Christ in Christ alone. And God says, that's all I ever created you for, was to live in recognition of me, in dependence upon me, in yieldedness to me. Let me be God in your life. That's all I want. Come to me with open hands and allow me to come into your life. Recognize that you are a sinner separated from God. And all you need to do is just receive what I'm offering to you. And I declare you righteous. Incredible. Redemption, righteousness, 
justification are all the results and the benefits of simply putting our faith in Christ. All who believe are the recipients, the objects of this grace. Eternity is the extent of time. We'll never need to be redeemed, justified, or declared righteous again. God will never put his wrath on you. You have been delivered from the wrath of God. And then just final thoughts on the basis of this. Beloved, you are before God in Christ at this moment and for all of eternity. Righteous, justified, free. This is the truth. Anything else is a lie. Confess the truth. Confess the truth. I find this is why sometimes I have to pray out loud. Because I need to hear myself speak the truth. That I am the child of God. I am forgiven. I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been redeemed and I will be kept blameless until the day of Christ. I have been given the Holy Spirit as a seal of that redemption. I am a new creature in Christ. I need to hear myself say these things. Because whether it's my flesh or the enemy of the world, probably all three, their voice is all in unison. You are unworthy. You are not righteous. You are nothing but a lousy sinner. This is not real. You're believing fables. This is how the enemy in the world speak to us. God's word is unchanging. And I need to stand on the truth. If it's based upon me, I will never have any certainty. But it's based upon what God has said and his word. And God says these things are true. So then, confess the truth and praise God. This is the only reasonable response. All boasting is excluded. By faith, receive the gift, know the favor of God. And by faith in Jesus. As we were saved, Vincent keeps stealing my thunder in Sunday school class, where it says that if we, um, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Everything that God has done, He has done it by His activity. We live because of what He has done. And the simple response is to walk in it. As you've received Him, so walk in Him. Let me close this in prayer. God, we acknowledge that we do have an accuser who stands before Your throne daily making accusation against the brethren. And we know that your word says that he is overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony of those who know you, those who love you. And God, we give testimony with our lips and we want it to be true in our lives that we are yours, that we are justified, that we have been redeemed, and that we have been declared righteous because you have been fully satisfied in the, in the death 
of Christ and the payment that he has made for our sin. We thank you that he lives to save us. We thank you, God, that, that all that needs to be done that you have done for us in Jesus. And I pray, God, that as a body and as individuals, that we would just, by your spirit, God, that you would just continue to bring us into a, a fuller understanding of what you have already secured for us in Christ, for what you've said is done, that we might stand, God, in our position in you on the basis of Christ, and who he is and what he's done. Make these things firm, Lord, in our hearts. And as the doubts come, Lord, we would stand on the truth of your word and all that you've declared. In Jesus' name.